Our next speaker is Molly Clemens. Molly is a graduate of Fordham University in Manhattan with a degree in environmental science. She's also our Erdish number two speaker. So I'm not sure how she got from environmental science to publishing down mass field, but she might be able to tell us later on. Um, she came to Melbourne on a Fulbright postgraduate research grant to study the trigger plant and its genetic response to climate change. Ladies and gentlemen, Molly. I'm glad this is already kind of low. I showed up at Hobbiton last week and they said, welcome home. <laughs> okay, I'm going to talk about the story of Dr. Edward Owen Wilson. He's an American biologist. Uh, he works at Harvard, and he's the world's leading expert in myrmecology, which is the study of ants. I chose Wilson because he believes enthusiasm is more important than intelligence for studying science. <laughs> I'd like to adjust this statement and add that navigational skills are also quite important. I learned this after hiking up the wrong mountain in my field studies, very enthusiastically. <laughs> Wilson's story begins in Alabama, but he was raised in several southern U.S. cities, in, including Washington, D.C. In the same year his parents divorced, Dr. Wilson was fishing and injured his right eye. Being a nine-year-old, a silly blinding injury wasn't really enough of a good reason to go inside, so he didn't say anything and kept fishing for hours. His poor vision in one eye only encouraged his love of small things. He could focus quite well on ants and butterflies. He has said, every kid has a bug period, and I never grew out of mine. His mother was living with her second husband when she sent Wilson a book to encourage his love of insects. The book was a catalog of butterflies. Edward began stressing out when he couldn't recognize a single one of them. And you can imagine this nine-year-old kid flipping through the pages and panicking about his life's goals until he realized it was a book of British butterflies. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. <laughs> it's interesting how major events in the history of humankind can have such profound effects on a person's life through ripples. At the time Wilson decided entomology was his calling, he began a collection of flies. As this young boy was out hiking with a butterfly net and this passion for insects, World War II was changing the shape and landscape of humanity. The war caused a shortage of metal pins, which affected Wilson through ripples because he no longer had pins to hang up his flies. So he switched to collecting ants because they could be stored in vials, and now he's the world's leading expert. <laughs> he said later, I was a senior in high school when I decided I wanted to work on ants as a career. I just fell in love with them and have never regretted it. I like that Wilson stresses creativity over technical expertise. As he says, discovery is the product of downstream imagination leading to hard work. And he urges students to study science even if mathematics is intimidating. He himself did not study algebra until his first year of university and he didn't take calculus until he was already a tenured professor at Harvard at the age of 32. So if you don't love math yet, there's still hope. <laughs> In 
So he swallowed his pride and he sat down in a classroom with first year students, some of which were students in his classes, and he learned calculus. But like, let's not give him too much credit because this is Harvard calculus, not rocket science. <laughs> I've heard the religious argument that science is too sterile to explain the vivacity of human existence, but I think there's nothing less magical than learning the true origins of humans, plants, and animals. And the beauty in evolution is that over millions of years, we have this gorgeous diversity. But maybe I'm just a huge nerd. Wilson said, I tend to believe that religious dogma is a consequence of evolution. That's a clever little circle, right? I love that Wilson sees this magic, and he endorses science with such enthusiasm and vitality. It kind of erodes the stereotype some people have of a cold scientist in a lab coat, and it replaces that with this humbling, smiling face. As a scientist, you get sucked into your work, and inevitably, it shapes the way you think about everything else. Wilson said, the work on ants has profoundly affected the way I think about humans but I think his experience with humans has also shaped how he studies ants. He noted, Karl Marx was right, socialism works. He just had the wrong species. <laughs> Wilson established sociobiology as a new scientific field. He studied how genetics and evolution influences human behavior. He defines sociobiology as the systematic study of the biological basis of all social behavior and his views have proven influential and controversial. Before everyone runs out of here debating nature versus nurture, Wilson said the only way to understand the meaning of human history is by a concatenation of ideas across disciplines. He thinks human beings need an evolutionary epic that's explained by the best empirical evidence science and history can provide. So what he means to stress is that the story of humanity is rooted in biology, not fiction. Dr. Wilson makes being a scientist cool. That's what makes him my hero, because I want to be cool. <laughs> in 2004, he was elected an honorary member of the Explorers Club, which is where you'd find these brave heroes like Robert Perry, Theodore Roosevelt, Charles Lindbergh, Edmund Hillary, and Buzz Aldrin, just to name a few. He said, there's no better high than discovery. I'm sure we, some people can relate to that, right? I like that Wilson, while being an expert on ants, is also an expert on humans, kind of. He can contrast human and ant behavior to explain the success and failures of both species. For instance, there's no such thing as a living solitary ant. But do not mistake his love of ants as a willingness to participate in their type of society. Here's a nifty list I compiled of things ants do we should probably not. <laughs> Number one, almost all ants are females. Well, that's not so bad, but. <laughs> the males are produced for one purpose, uh -uh. and exist only briefly. Wilson said, I'm a feminist for sure, but that's kind of pushing things, isn't it? <laughs> Number two, many eat their injured. Well, that's kind of self-explanatory. <laughs> and number three, they send their oldest females to do battle. Any takers? Yeah? Cool. 
So I don't want to just talk about an American biologist while I'm here in Australia, so I thought I'd tie in some of his experience here. In 1931, the Australian entomologist John S. Clark was the sole expert on ants at the time in Australia, and he sent this young woman out for him to collect specimens for the Museum Victoria in Melbourne. She unknowingly picked up a missing link while she was in the field. This ant was the closest in anatomy to what may have been the ancestor of all ants. But being a novice, she didn't record where she collected it along a 100-mile expanse. And that's why we don't know her name. <laughs> the missing link remained a mystery. When Wilson heard about this ant in Australia, in typical American fashion, he decided to invade Australia and look for it himself. <laughs> this was in 1955. This was the kind of question that would keep any good scientist up at night. So Wilson packs up his things, comes to Australia, and with a team, heads out into the Australian outback on an old army flatbed, and he found nothing. He recounted, it was one of the greatest disappointments of my academic life. That's too bad. Well, Australians weren't too pleased that an American was off searching in their outback for this missing link that was originally found by an Australian. They probably weren't that worried and assumed he would wither away or be hunted by Ivan Millet. It seemed to them that this honor should be bestowed upon an Australian researcher. So, of course, all these other entomologists pour into the field searching for this missing link. Thankfully, it was not found by an American. It was discovered by a Kiwi, but... <laughs> we all know they're Australian when it really matters. <laughs> Biophilia is the word coined by E.O. Wilson for the human propensity to affiliate with other life forms. And I think he was an expert on human connection to the environment, and in many cases, lack thereof. He was talking to this group of researchers and recounted a movie he had seen where these space explorers landed on an unknown planet, and the commander is talking to the one astronaut as he goes off. And he says, is there any life out there, any life at all? And the guy responds, no signs of life at all, only a few bushes. I admire Wilson's environmental advocacy because it's so fundamentally and entirely based on facts, the kind that critically point out humanity's egocentric behavior, like the sun does not revolve around the earth. For instance, he said, if all mankind were to disappear, the world would regenerate back into the rich state of equilibrium that existed 10,000 years ago. If insects were to vanish, the environment would collapse into chaos. He's not shy to criticize the human treatment of this world, calling us social geniuses, but idiots at managing the environment. I love a good analogy. Wilson said, our, pro our process of destroying rainforests for economic gain is like burning a Renaissance painting to cook a meal. Isn't it remarkable that someone who began with such humble origins, studying an organism so small, has had such a massive impact on this world. Thank you, guys.